Welcome back to the latest episode of the Power of Planning podcast. This is Vanessa Skinner, and this month I wanted to devote the podcast to a discussion about Medicare since October 15th kicked off the start of this year's annual Medicare open enrollment period. And I have the pleasure of welcoming a good friend of mine, John Kennedy, as my special guest this month. He's a certified financial planner and co-founder of Canderpath Financial, mm -hmm. and he's been doing Medicare planning for 13 years now. I have to also mention that he is co-host of the Above Board with Canderpath podcast, which recently celebrated 50,000 podcast Ooh. downloads. So congratulations and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm impressed that you didn't do the John and Jackie Kennedy thing right. on the intro. That's true. <laughs> Should we do that or no? Uh, sure, if do you it, want to. No, go I don't. It's fine. Okay. No, we can skip it. <laughs> okay. For the listeners, my wife's name is Jackie Kennedy, so we're officially John and John F. and Jackie Kennedy. Exactly. What are you going to do? In the flesh. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, John is going to provide us some insights today about the ABCDs of Medicare, providing a lay of the land and information about the fundamental resources that are available to you. So how did you first begin advising clients that's about Medicare? Great question. It, it's one of those things where, um, so you mentioned I'm a CFP, so I do financial planning, and, and you're in a lot of these conversations with families about various things that most of the time you think it's going to be investments and portfolio stuff, but there's so many areas of your financial life, right? And, mm -hmm. and health insurance happens to be one of them. And so about 13 years ago, I had a client of mine. She said, John, will you, like, I don't know any of this stuff. Will you come with me to, um, you know, just like sit with me, sit in with me on one of these, on one of these uh, conversations with a, a sales specialist. I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And I knew like enough to be dangerous, but right. I was just there to be her advocate. That's all I was. And she was asking really good questions. And so was I. But what was ultimately happening was we just heard this um, sales rep kind of sell this like specific product. And like, I won't debate the merit of whether that was good or bad, but there were really good questions that were just going unanswered. And I thought, man, this is just not how this should be done. And so, you know, leaned into that a little bit, became the Medicare expert, if you will, at my company. So fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we should start off with the fundamentals. Okay. What is Medicare? So that is the insurance that you have available to you when you turn 65. So a lot of people think that turns on when you start Social Security. That's not necessarily the case. Okay. Social Security can be anywhere from 62 all the way up to 70. Um, but at 65 is when your Medicare turns on for most people. Um, there's this thing called uh, open enrollment, which is really important. And it kind of depends on, you know, if you're working, if you're not working. So, for example, um, if you are not working or your intention is to go on Medicare, you have a seven-month window to enroll in Medicare, three months before your 65th birthday, the month of, and then three months after. Um, and you can also defer that decision as well. But to answer your question, I think it was founded in 1965 by the government. That's when we started this. And that's ultimately, that's what it is. It's, it's insurance for seniors that are retired. And so there's no family coverage option, right? Correct. It's an individual benefit. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... Tell us about there's no monthly premium for Part A, right? And we'll go into yeah. in a little bit what each part does and covers and doesn't cover. Yeah. And then you often recommend to your clients that they should have health insurance in addition to Medicare, correct? Yeah, I do. It's one of those things where um, 
when you look at original Medicare, which is which is what was provided or is provided from the government, it's that's your part A and your part B. And we'll unpack what those are in a moment. Right. They say on average that covers about half of your healthcare expenses over the course of your retirement life. So let's say that's a 30-year lifespan. Actuarial, actuarially, did I say that right? Yes. Actuarially. Is that even a word? Um, <laughs> I think so. It's, it's, uh, you will spend, a healthy couple turning 65 will spend about $650,000 in healthcare. Wow. And so if, if A and B are going to cover half of that number, that leaves a huge number on the backside of over the course of your, of your retirement life that we need to plan for. Absolutely. And there are insurances that help you do that. And, and, and again, I, just to preface this, like, you know, at my firm, we don't sell these products specifically. It's just having the conversation to figure out like what makes the most sense for my situation. And then what isn't Medicare? Great. Uh, so it is not, it's not going to cover things like cosmetic procedures. Um, so it's thing, it'll cover things that are medically necessary. Um, it is not dental it is not vision. Those are separate policies. It's hard to believe as that is. That's, that is true. And then um, last but not least, I think a really important one to understand is it is not, it is not a suitable replacement for long-term care. So a lot of people think like, oh, well, I've got a Medicare and I've got the, the Cadillac plan of supplemental insurance that's right. going to cover me. And that's not, it will cover you for healthcare reasons, but it is not a good long-term care replacement, which I think we might get into in a little bit as well. Yes, I'm glad you're spotlighting yeah. that because in May I did an episode with Marty Salt, the journalist. Oh, cool. And she was sharing that for her and her sister, it was quite an eye-opening realization when they learned that their mother's Medicare would not pay for her to live in an assisted living yeah. facility. Right. And she said that she has really made it her mission for people to understand that Medicare coverage is not for long-term care purposes. Big um, misconception. Yes. So, and we'll unpack that a little bit sure. more as well today. But I mentioned that it's the annual open enrollment period, right? Mm -hmm. And that starts in October and goes through December 7th, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yep. October 15th to December 7th. Okay. Yeah. So... Talk about, you mentioned earlier, when someone turns 65, mm -hmm. then they are eligible to receive Medicare. What is that initial enrollment, open enrollment period look like? Yep. And how do they go about actually applying for the benefit? So it's interesting, too, because if, if let's if say that person, to. yeah, that's what, that's what I was getting at, is okay. if that person is employed and they have a, it's called credible coverage through their employer, which oftentimes that just means like you have a hundred or more employees at your company. Okay. Um, that's one of the one of the metrics you have to hit. Um, sometimes people will actually defer the decision, which is okay. You can defer your decision for Medicare if you have qualified credible coverage through your employer for as long as you're working there. So I mean, I have clients now that are still working at 71, 72 years old, and they have chosen to defer their Medicare decision. So okay. what that actually looks like for them is they enroll in Part A and they defer Part B, which is the thing that costs money. For so most Part A is automatic at sixty-five. Yeah, that's okay. that's something you want to turn on, and most employers, if you decided to defer, would require you to. Okay. But let's just take the 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 person that is turning sixty-five and does not want to stay on their company plan, or they're already retired. Okay. So you have that seven-month window to enroll, like we talked about. Right. And um, hypothetically speaking, if their birthday was November eighteenth, um, that's the year that you know that's the the birth month in which they turn sixty-five. November 1st could be their first eligible date to go on to Medicare. Okay. Um, November 1st of this year. Let's say they're turning 65 this year. And all that really means is they're able to enroll in Part A 
and part B. And so if we kind of just differentiate the two of those for a moment, is it okay if I do that? Sure. So part A is your hospital insurance. That's that's why I like to, you know, usually when people are taking notes when we have this topic, yes. it's like take notes, right? Part A, hospital. And next to that, it's a $0 premium. So for most Americans, if you've paid into Medicare, uh, Medicare and Social Security tax for at least 10 years, your part A doesn't cost you anything, which is great. Um, they make up for it for part B though, but that's your doctor's insurance. So you've got your hospital coverage with part A, you have your doctor's coverage with part B, um, and it's going to come with an annual deductible of like $226, and then it's 80-20. So it's 80%, um, they cover it, and then 20% on you. But you'll notice, I mean, I didn't even mention, you know, how part B coverage works, but there's a deductible for that as well. It's about okay. $1,600. But what you notice when you really start to like look into the literature of part A and part B, you kind of can tell pretty quickly there's no out-of-pocket max there. You know, the, the cost could potentially continue to roll up on me. Right. And something with part A that's very unique is they communicate that there's a deductible and that deductible is $1,600. But in the fine print, it's per benefit period. How do we define that benefit period? Right. So it's an every 90 day event based on the event. So like if you go to the hospital in January and you pay your deductible and then you go to the hospital again in June, you're paying that again. Another 1600 <clears throat> Right. Right. And then there's daily co-pays for the first 60 days. And then from 61 to 90, it changes. And 91 and above, it's, it's also different. But when you really look at it, you go, gosh, I can see... Back to the initial comment I made yes. where, you know, the cost of healthcare and retirement, you can really start to see like how you could shoulder the burden of that, which of course, that's where insurance companies kind of came into the fold and said, okay, we'll come up with products to wrap around that. And that's where you've heard the term like supplement coverage or Medicare Medigap coverage. Supplement. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then what if you don't, you're 65 you're not working or you've officially retired, what if you don't apply in that seven-month window? What happens then? Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Plain and simple. It's, yeah, don't Just do don't. that. It's not ideal. <laughs> um, have a plan. Like if you're approaching 65, talk with somebody, research this. No, because I've, I've seen it once in my career ever. There's this thing called the general enrollment window. Okay. So essentially, if you miss your open enrollment window, and you have no qualifying reason for have mi having missed it, um, the first quarter of the year, so January through March, you can enroll. But the problem is your coverage won't begin for Medicare until July 1st. So let's say hypothetically it's uh, March of 2023. That was, the, that was the final month of your, of your seven-month window. You turned 65 at the end of the prior year. You realize in April, oh, you know what? I need to go on. I, I need to figure this out. Right. It's it's now too late. Your general, you, you missed the window. Like you're going to have to wait a full year, actually a year and a half, because it'll be July of the following year for your coverage to begin. So it's one of those like, let's not, let's and just not even cross those is waters. Is there a penalty too in terms of the premium that you have to pay moving forward? Unfortunately, yes. So part B assesses a I believe it's a 10% per year penalty for every year in which you're not enrolled. And then okay. Part D, which is your prescription, which we didn't talk about yet. Right. Um, your Part D prescription will assess a 1% per month penalty. And is that like <laughs> a, even after you get the coverage, are you still having to you're pay a higher amount? You're permanently stuck with that You're penalty. permanently stuck no. with that penalty. Yeah. It's okay. wild. Even more reasons. So do you recommend that maybe 30 days before that three month prior to their birthday, they start 
the yeah. process. And I do. I think the rule of thumb I've always kind of, I, I like to think about is about a hundred days before okay. your 65th birthday. Okay. So whatever that looks like for you, because that would be right on the front end of that three month window that you have. Okay. Um, and that's just, it's, it's good planning because you don't want to be caught at last minute trying to make a decision. And there's, I think anybody that would listen to this podcast, hearing me talk about Medicare probably already is realizing like, gosh, there's so many, there's so many different things to know about it. What I would like to implore your listeners on is that fundamentally, it's actually not that complicated. There are two choices that you have to make. But when you get all this literature in the mail and there's so many different product companies and they've got all the advertising sure. on TV. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of subset choices you have to make, but ultimately there's kind of two ro roads that you travel when it comes to Medicare. Um, that's the thing that we're really trying to hone in on and figure out for people. The product stuff comes later, and you know that's that's a different that's a different animal. And there's probably hundreds of combinations of subset choices there, but that's not really it's it's one of two one of two things which i think we'll talk and about yes we are i want to get to that i first want to go back to what you said earlier about okay what if you're working past the age of 65 yeah. that's what they call that special open enrollment period mm -hmm. so how does that work yeah it's um it's a window very similar to your initial open enrollment okay it's it kicks off though from when you do ultimately retire or if you just when say when you no longer have that credible coverage right right that's the latest that you can go. But if you said, you know what? And we have clients that do this all the time. They said, my goal is, John, I want to work until 70. Um, we evaluate their insurance every year. And by 68, we're looking at, we're weighing the pros and cons. And we've advised, hey, it might make sense to actually go off of your company coverage and go on to original Medicare. And if the math, I mean, I'm a big believer that math doesn't lie, right? right. So if the math doesn't lie and it makes sense for them, we can, we can do that. That's okay to do. But the latest you can go is is for however long you're still working while you have credible coverage. Okay. Does that make sense? And is the process the same? Pretty similar. Okay. Pretty similar. Yep. And then are there penalties with that as well if you fail to do it within that time frame? Correct. Yeah. There's okay. penalties just the 10% the and the 1% per month for Part D that we talked about. Okay. Same applies. Now, the only difference is the special open enrollment window allows you to defer the decision while you're still working. So if you work until 70, there's not a penalty for the five years you weren't on. Right. It's if you stopped at 70 and then at 72, you decided now I want to go on Medicare. That's where we run into issues. Okay. Yeah. And have you seen that happen? I've only seen once ever in my career where okay. somebody missed the window and, and it wasn't so much they missed it. It was more like, I don't, they didn't want to participate I in see. it. Um, and then unfortunately something medically happened you know, to their family and they say, okay, well, we need to participate in it now. And, and now they, they were the facing the higher premiums. It was unfortunate, very much so, yeah. Okay. And then with regard to the annual open enrollment, what is that, what purpose does that serve? Because this is always the time of year when you see all the commercials on TV about the different plan options. Yep. So we talked a lot about Part A yes. and we talked a lot about Part B. That's original Medicare for everybody listening. But there's Part C, which we haven't really unpacked right. at all. Right. We're and then there's there. and there's part <laughs> D. And so for most people, this October fifteenth to December seventh time frame, that is your opportunity to make changes with your part C. Okay. Or your your prescription plan part D. Okay. So that's what that's where 
there's a lot of awareness around Medicare right now. I mean, you can't turn the news on and not see commercials for Medicare. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then I know you've also talked about in the past the general open enrollment window. Is that January 1st to March 31st? That's the one 31st? we want to avoid. That's the one that's we the want one to avoid. avoid. Yeah. Okay. That's yep. the worst case scenario. Right. Okay. Right. So talking about the two tracks, basically. Yes. Yes. The original Medicare and then the Medicare Advantage type mm-hmm. plans, right? So let's talk first about the original Medicare. So that's the Part A and Part B and Part D, if you want it, right? That's optional. And or a Medicare supplement with it, right? So on the Part A coverage, like you said, there's no premium um, and there's the $1,600 deductible per benefit period. It covers hospital, skilled nursing, and hospice care. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the skilled nursing component. And this is what I've talked about in the past on the podcast. We're talking about 20 days of skilled nursing at 100% max. And then day 21 up to day 100 is when you have to pay that daily copay which right now is $200 per day. And they don't have to cover you all the way through day 100. Correct. Because I've seen this happen with my own clients where if they're, they had a fall, they broke a hip, they go to the nursing home, they're getting rehab in the nursing home, but then they plateau with their therapies. Mm-hmm. Then Medicare cuts them off day 60, day 80, because they feel that they're not improving with the therapies that are being provided. So unfortunate. And now, either when they cut you off or when you get to day 101, you're on private pay mm-hmm. completely. And so with the hospital stays, you were saying earlier, so days 1 through 60, there's a $0 per day. So Correct. you could be in the hospital for up to 60 days. Correct. Okay. So your deductible essentially covers that. That's $1,600 deductible. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in 61 through 90, it's $400 per day? Yes. So that's your copay. I'm very basically. grateful that you have notes in front of you yes. because I, I was trying to remember this <laughs> from, from my brain, but uh, that's correct. And then there's this thing called um, lifetime days. That's what I was going to ask you. What is this lifetime reserve days concept? So it's 60 days. It's, it basically kicks starts on day 91 with your part A. Okay. So if you're in the hospital from day 91 through 150, you have lifetime reserve days. And I think the copay for that is 600, 800, 800 per day. 800 per day. And so what what happens is those, like, once you use those, you lose those. Okay. So let's say four years later, you, you end up going to the hospital again for something related or unrelated, whatever, it doesn't matter, um, and you're in the hospital after day 91, it, all the costs are on you. Wow. Okay. And you you know how much it is just to even walk in the hospital and breathe their air. I right. Mean, it's a, it's and have expensive. a Tylenol for $25. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just very expensive. And so that's where... Like we said before, a lot of these insurance companies came into play and said, hey, okay, well, we'll we'll come up with coverages that help offset this. So that's your supplement. That's your that's supplement. The concept. Or the the two paths that we can go is is Medicare Advantage, which is also known as Part C. So let's stick with the supplement for a moment. Right. Most families that would or, or individuals rather that would go with a supplement plan would have original Medicare A and B. Oh, B is your doctor's coverage. Okay. That's part of original Medicare provided 
to us from the government. And that's the 16490. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that covers outpatient, physicians, home health, x-rays, blood work. Okay. Yep. And that's got an annual deductible of 226. Yeah. Yeah. And a coinsurance like you said of 8020. Uh-huh. Then tell us before we get to the Medicare supplement. Tell us about what this IRMA is, this income-related monthly adjusted amount. It's a mouthful. It is. So essentially what that looks like, it's a a surcharge. It's it's a tax. Okay. So if you are a high-income earner into retirement, they'll look at that number and say, it's not going to be $164.90 per month per person for you and your spouse. It's actually going to be much higher. Okay. And and um, if we were if we were able to show visuals, I'd be able to you know maybe and maybe that's something I'll share with you is the is the grid that shows the income brackets for um, married filing jointly and single filers, but that that number can be astronomically higher. And and I would imagine there are listeners that experience this circumstance. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different thoughts there. You know, me putting like my CFP planning hat on. There are strategies where we focus on trying to control someone's modified adjusted gross income, like not within gray area, like right. le- like legally, right? Right. Um, and then there are folks that retire, and this is the one that gets most people. So it's a two-year look back. And if you think about it, the IRS is trying to fact check you with the only thing they can really fact check you on, which is your tax return. And meanwhile, most people have their most successful earning years right before retirement. Yes. Exactly. That's that's the problem. So, you know, we have a we have a client that made $800,000 and now they're in retirement and it's a much more controlled income. They've got after-tax dollars, they've got Roth IRA dollars. Their modified adjusted gross income is nowhere near that. But the the uh, Medicare w- will send you a letter and say, "Hey, we cross-referenced with the IRS. We looked at your tax return 2 years ago. It's your number's much higher. We're going to assess you a surcharge." Well, they do that again because that's the only number, that's the only way they can fact check you. And the two year, if you think about it logically, like if you were turning 65 in March of 2023, you probably hadn't even got all your tax documents yet. For You haven't filed your tax return for 2022. Right. So the earliest they can, or the latest information they can recall from is your 21 tax return. Okay. There's a really, really important form that anybody listening to this should should you know jot this down it's the it's called your SSA 44 form you can get that from social security's website it's SSA 44 and that is basically you writing back to the IRS and saying hey i know you're assessing us with this surcharge we don't make that number anymore and let me prove it to you the last for like final pay stubs like there's some proving to it okay. but interestingly we've we've had a lot of success in doing that for our clients when it was like genuine that they're you know, right, their there was changed, a reasonable basis. Yeah. So they will reevaluate it, but you right. have to request oh, them goodness to do gracious, so. Yes. They're not just going to do <laughs> yeah, it and double check. Not. Given the number of people that they have to review, they're yeah. not going to. Okay. I I feel like that form is conveniently buried on their website too. Like right. it's not an easy. I've never thing heard to, of it before. Right. right. Exactly. And that's intentional, I'm right. sure. So. Okay. All right. So then the Medicare supplement, also known as the Medigap policies, right? So these are the private policies that we see advertised on TV, particularly this time of year. Yeah. And if you think about it, like the term Medigap, it's kind of like what it's what it sounds like. It's meant to fill in the gaps that A and B don't cover. Okay. And so it, you know, it'll, it'll cover maybe examples of it would be the part A deductible, uh, the co-pays after, you know, certain days when you're on part A. 
that 20% um, coinsurance on your Part B that we talked about for your doctor's coverage. So your supplement will come in and fill those gaps. Now there's an additional cost to it. And there's 10, I think it's 10 different supplements. They range from A through N, not to be confused with like Part A and Plan A. It's okay. wildly confusing. Um, the one that most people know of that, that your listeners probably heard of is Plan F. That was kind of like the Cadillac, if you will, plan. They, they grandfathered that, though, in 2020. So oh, essentially, for anybody who was on it, they could stay on it. If you were going off of that plan, or, or if you weren't 65 yet, and you turned 65 in 2022, you just didn't have an opportunity to enroll in that plan. So plan G became the new uh, Cadillac, Cadillac plan, if you will. There's The only underlying difference between the two is that plan G doesn't cover your Part B deductible, which is only $226 so far. Okay. So it's not too... It's not too, too bad. It's it's pretty similar. In fact, the interesting thing is like plan F that used to be um, that plan F, the differential in cost for most plan Fs was $226 a year between F and G. Like it, really? it was just that they were just kind of playing games with the numbers, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Okay. So then the prescription drug coverage is not included Standalone. with these policies, right? Correct. That's something different, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then the plans vary in cost and the types of coverage that they provide, right? For prescriptions? For the, well, no, for going back to like those Medigap policy options, the yes. 10 different plans. Obviously, the more comprehensive it is. So if, if we're talking about Plan G, for example, that's going to be more expensive mm-hmm. um, than some of the other supplement plans. I think it's one of those, you know, work with somebody to kind of figure out what makes the most sense for you. But if you're the type of person that wants certainty with this. You don't want to have to worry about out-of-pocket maximums and you know your, your cost. Um, you, you just want predictability, I guess, in your right. premiums. That could really make sense for, for somebody. And, and a lot of our clients choose that option. And then I know you've given tips when it comes to Medicare, and one of them is you cannot use HSA funds to pay for Medigap premiums. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? I'd love to. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm trying to recall. I think HSAs went into law in like December 2002, if I'm not mistaken. And so what's interesting now is we have a lot of clients retiring with sizable money in their HSA. Right. They just funded it. They just, they were like, Felt like the right thing to do at the time, and, and it certainly was. I mean, it's the only vehicle in the U.S. tax code where you can put put money in, get a tax deduction today for doing it, have it grow tax-free, and then take it out tax-free if you use it for medical. So it's almost kind of like mashing up a traditional and a Roth IRA in one vehicle. And their and their HSAs meaning health savings account. Health savings account. I should have said that. Um, but it but but specifically for healthcare. Right. Right. So it's you, you can't use it for buying, you know, a beach condo in retirement, you can't for a down payment, you can't do that. Um, And one of the things that you also can't do when you're on Medicare is you cannot use those dollars for um, medical um, Medigap supplemental insurance. You can use it for a lot of other things. You can use it even for your your Part B premiums. Um, You can actually use it for almost everything besides that one thing. For whatever reason, that's that's a big no-no at the moment. Um, in fact, what we see a lot of clients do is using their HSA dollars to pay for their long-term care insurance premiums, which is an amazing that is use of those idea. dollars because that's an important part of planning. Just yes. you know, the example that you shared, um, even you know why, just how important that is. 
Yes, because the Medicare supplement policies, even though they help pay for, like you said, the deductibles and the coinsurance, they don't pay for long-term care either. Correct. So again, you're at day 101 at most, um, and now you're private out of pocket, and the Medigap policies don't help offset any of those costs. Unfortunately, that's true. So that's where the long-term care discussion, particularly the long-term care insurance, is good to consider. Mm-hmm. So then what is the Part C coverage? Can I go back to Part D real yes, quick first? Yes, yes, yes. So because so what a lot of people do is if they get the supplement plan, they'll do A, B, the original Medicare that comes yes. together, a supplement plan, and they'll get a standalone Part D prescription plan. Okay. And I'll probably spend the least amount of time on that. It's just, it's unique to you. You know, the prescriptions you take, um, there's so many different companies out there and plans out there that are available. And so usually it's, it's, you know, there are online resources where you can punch all that information in and then have it spit out what the best plan is for your situation. But it's very, very common for, uh, folks to have one, a supplement company with, with a supplement plan with one company and a part D prescription plan with a completely different provider. So a lot of people think they need to be the same, you know, they're but like, you oh, don't I got have to, right. you could just shop around to That's see it. what's best for you. Yeah. And exactly. sometimes when I'm reviewing my clients, social security benefit statements, there'll be the gross monthly benefit deduction for part B premium, nothing for part A, like you said, cause that's free. And then there'll be a deduction for a part D premium that shows up on their social security statement. Yeah. So, but it's that... an option to pay it, pay it via their social security check. Okay. Yeah. But is it still being provided through a private company? Most likely. Okay. I mean, it'd be hard to know depending right. on the situation, but most likely, and they just chose to have the premium deducted from their social security check, which is, which is normal. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so that would kind of complete that, you know, the, the one of two track. choices. Yeah. The original track. So you have original supplement and part D. Okay. The other option would be what's known as part C, Medicare Advantage. And by law, Part C has to at minimum cover what A and B cover. And then there are other benefits kind of wrapped inside of that. So what I always like to explain to people about Part C is it sort of operates like how health insurance always worked through your employer. You know, you had a you had co-pays for doctor visits. You had deductibles. You have out-of-pocket maximums. It's very, you have to work within a network, you know, if it's an right. HMO versus a PPO it's going to come with those types of constraints. So you do have the HMO PPO option with these they two? They do. Okay. Yeah, they do. Um, and, and so you're working within a regional network. Um, and we'll, well, you know, when I compare and contrast the two in a moment, I'll explain how the other option, original Medicare, is different than that. Um, but you're working within this network, you know, PPO or HMO. And um, people choose that option, I think, because maybe there's they're, they're comfortable or familiar with the the product company that provides it, um, or there's not a an additional premium. You still have to pay the Part B. You still have, you can't get you can't get around paying that one sixty four ninety or more if you make more in retirement. Um, but there's not an additional. In many cases, there's not an additional premium for that Part C Medicare Advantage. There can oh, be, okay. there can be, but oftentimes there's not. So it ends up being a more month by month affordable solution. For, for folks in retirement. And this has an out-of-pocket maximum, right? Yeah. yeah. 
I think the I think the eighty three hundred. What is it? Eighty three hundred. Yes. <laughs> Vanessa's got the notes. <laughs> so that's the out of that's the that is the standard set Currently. by the United States for you can't go over that number. There are actually a lot of plans that are below that number. Their out of pocket maximums are less, but that's the number it's not allowed to exceed. And you were saying if you go the original track, you know, the part A and B, there's no out-of-pocket max on that in terms of what you could potentially have to pay. Correct. Correct. So that, but if you add the supplement, then, then you that helps offset that. that cost. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I was going to say, what do you think people find attractive about these Medicare Advantage plans when you're comparing and contrasting them to original Medicare I think it depends on a couple of factors. So certainly finances impacts the decision. Um, unfortunately, if if uh, if we're in a very tight budget in retirement, the issue there kind of it's a cascading like it. We save money by going on Medicare Advantage, but we might potentially spend more money later on if we have some severe medical issues. So that's always a risk that we that we run. Um, but the interesting thing is, I have some clients that are much more. Uh, aggressive in how just how they view like risk in general. Um, I have a, a client I think I shared with you that it, you know he's in his 70s and it's a hundred percent stock portfolio. I mean it gives me heart palpitations just thinking about a wow, you know yeah. a hundred zero portfolio in retirement. But that person's very very comfortable with taking that level of risk, and that same person is also you know fairly healthy and says you know what I'm not that worried about. You know, if something happens, like I'll, I'll pay the additional cost. I'd rather save the premium, maybe roll the dice a little bit and, and pick a Medicare Advantage plan. Conversely, someone that's maybe a little more, wants predictability. I don't even want to say conservative, but that could be used. But wants more predictability in retirement. They want to pay their monthly premium and know what their costs are. And if something medically happens, they don't have to worry about it. Then maybe the supplement route with original Medicare makes a little more sense for them. Quality of care matters too for a lot of people, and not that you can't get it with Medicare Advantage, but I've found over the years that with a supplement plan, you have a little bit more of um, choices at your disposal. So, so more a, a larger <clears throat> provider network. Is that right, what you mean? Be okay. and, and really, I think the best way I could summarize that is if the doctor accepts Medicare, they ex they have to accept your supplement plan. So it's not even like a network; it's just. Do they, they accept, accept Medicare? Yeah. Okay. And are they accepting new patients? Okay. So it gives you a little bit more ease of, you know, being able to control the quality of care versus working within maybe a regional HMO or PPO. And along those same lines, you don't need a referral, right? When you're right. in the original Medicare track. Versus an HMO where you do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then... If you need standalone vision, hearing, and dental, all of that can be addressed on the original track, right? Uh, well, those are just separate policies, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, I have found over the years that Medicare Advantage does sometimes include those things. Okay. Um, there's pros and cons to that, though, um, but they do sometimes include those for like an additional cost. You'll see, it's very common to see a Medicare Advantage plan also offer dental and vision. But it's one of those, like, you want to read the fine print. Right. You want to know what doctors are accepted in that plan. What benefits are you actually getting? I have a, a really good case study with a client. It, he he chose a plan because it covered hearing. And he needed hearing aids. But the, but the truth of the matter was what, how it covered them. And this is not something that I've experienced yet. But I'm sure as I lose my hearing someday, as I get older, <laughs> I might. But there are dip, there, the quality in hearing aids is very vast. Like, it can range. Mm -hmm. And so... 
the what was covered and provided to him, he couldn't like it was very tinny and it was very uncomfortable, and he had to pay out of pocket anyway. So he's very disappointed in the choice that he made because he's like, man, I I picked this plan because I thought it was going to cover hearing, and then come to find out it did, but with caveats. So just want to read the fine print always with anything in life, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then with the original Medicare, talk to me about there's guaranteed issue at onset, right? Yep. Okay. So, and then it requires underwriting though afterwards. How does that work? So I would say that that's probably one of the main motivating factors why when you see these commercials on the news and they say, make this decision right, you know, you have one opportunity to get this decision and you want to really nail it and get it right. It's because of this whole underwriting issue. So when you are, when you turn 65 or special enrollment later on, and you know, if you're, if you wait till 70, let's say, cause you're working and you have uh, credible coverage, you have the opportunity to enroll in your, like, let's say the supplement plan that, that covers you really well <clears throat> without any kind of medical underwriting. They can't rate you. They can't decline you. They can't look at your history and say, you know, we're, we have a problem with you taking, like with, with us giving you this coverage. If you wait four years and you say, you know what, on second thought, I think I want to go on the more comprehensive plan now. I've changed my mind. The issue with that is you're going to go through medical underwriting, number one. Um, I have seen that in my career where we've been able to successfully do that. But the second part to this is usually that's driven by something bad happening. True. Like you weren't healthy for four straight years and you go, you know, I I have a change of heart. I want to go on a different plan. It's usually something bad happened to you medically that made you realize oh gosh i need to i, I want to switch plans and now unfortunately it's it's too late to do that so That's it's right. it is important to be educated on this and figure out what's right for you i i do think they do a you know the the commercials and such do a really good job at scaring you into thinking it's yes. like the world's biggest decision it is an important one though um, interestingly, there's a, there is a one year do over period. That's what I was going to ask you. So what if you, and this is, is this what you call the trial, right? Yeah. Trial, right. So what is that exactly? So there's a lot of hoops to jump through, but essentially within the 12 month period that you choose a plan, if you decide, oh gosh, I chose the wrong one. I want to go on a more comprehensive plan. You have the opportunity to do that. And here's the key without medical underwriting but it's only within the first 12 months of when you make that choice. So from let's say, you know, you turn 65, <clears throat> from 65 to 66 is when you can make a change. So when you say when you choose the plan, so are you saying you're in the original Medicare track and you're choosing a Medicare supplement plan and you want to change? Yeah. Or let's say you went the Medicare Advantage route and you want to change to go to original Medicare. Correct. Either of those circumstances fall under that trial, right? It's, it's the latter, really, because if you were on the more comprehensive plan, yes, and during seasonal open enrollment, then like you could October fifteenth your... to December seventh, okay, no insurance company is ever going to have a problem with you saying, "Hey guys, I actually want to decrease my level of coverage and I want to go on something else that's okay. less uh, expansive." They're going to say yes to that. It's going the other direction. So if you're trying to go on a more comprehensive plan, especially if it's driven out of something medical, they're going to say, not so fast. Okay. So that's where trial right comes into play is if somebody maybe goes on the Medicare Advantage track and then decides they want to go on the supplement track instead. Okay. You know, I shared at the beginning of this when I went in with that client and I, I failed to mention this, but she was at the time, she was recently widowed. And so, you know, that situation, I, I felt so... 
I felt such an important calling to really make sure she made the right decision and be there with her to help her make it. But I knew, I knew enough to be dangerous, but I didn't, I also knew what I didn't know. And I wasn't comfortable giving her the advice. So we, when we went in and sat with somebody, I just remember feeling so disappointed, borderline embarrassed, actually. Like I felt embarrassed that I was the one that made the recommendation. And then we were sitting with this person and all they were doing is kind of pigeonholing her into a specific product. And I can remember even saying like, yeah, but this is a really good question. How would you answer that? And they just kind of misdirected. And I've seen that a lot in this industry. And it's with any industry that's very sales oriented, yeah. you know, you get that. Like they, they're going for the quick close and, and you know, not to fault that person, but I remember feeling there's so much more knowledge that we can share. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, you know, I'm a CFP having the Medicare conversation with you today. It's, it's, that was, I never in a million years thought this would be something that I would be well versed in. But, you know, as a result of that and my clients, my mother turning, you know, like, right. it, you know, experiencing these with other people, you really feel compelled to know all the different ins and outs of it. And it, it is complicated. It, it really is. is. And the decisions are so critical. And like you said, if you make the wrong decision, you don't have much of a window to make the right one. And there could be long-term penalties and other complications that result from that one bad decision that you make. It's so true. I will say, though, I still, I think my goal in this conversation would be, gosh, I know it's complicated. So I probably in some ways made it more complicated. Because <laughs> um, usually when I do this talk, there's like visuals that I can show and like right. graphs and it makes it a little bit easier. I get to lean on the visuals. Um but still to truly like it, there are two choices to make, like, to, to get overburdened with all of the different product companies that, that push stuff to you. It's the two things. It's the original track with, with a supplement or Medicare Advantage. So the original track is A and B. A mm -hmm. is no premium. B has the premium, the mm -hmm. 164 roughly. And then you can elect to have the supplement for more comprehensive coverage, since you've got those out-of-pocket costs and deductibles. And then you could also have a separate Part D policy mm -hmm. to cover the prescription drug costs. You got it. And then the You're other track- You're gonna give this presentation next year when I have to do it. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And then the other track is the Medicare Advantage plan, and that's through the private companies exclusively. Correct. And then you can pick and choose whichever plan, depending on your needs and what coverage you're looking for. And that could include dental and vision and hearing and all of those other considerations. Exactly. And prescription drugs as well. Exactly. Okay. Yep. You nailed it. That's that's fundamentally it. And I think, again, there are probably so many people listening to this that fall in different categories. Exactly. It's not, it's not, it's an I, individual decision for sure. And it's so hard for me because sometimes when I give this presentation, we did it virtually a few weeks ago and I got the question, what is the best, like, what should I choose? And I can't make that determination for somebody. I can help guide them and we can talk through it and lead the discussion. But ultimately that's so hard to say, um, you know, what the, you know, I wish I could just come on this and say, here's the silver bullet. Like this is, right. this is what you should pick every time, but it's just not the reality. No. And that's how it is basically with all planning decisions, right? It's, Point. they're always individual, unique to that person. And really, I'm just so grateful that you were able to join me today because this is the Medicare roadmap discussion, right? This is designed just like this podcast overall. It's the power of planning. You're, we're empowering people, arming them with the knowledge they need 
in order to make the decision that's right for them. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. Before we bring this episode to a close, I wanted to share with you some information that is hot off the presses from the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The 2024 Medicare premiums and deductibles have been announced. Let's start with the Medicare Part A inpatient hospital deductible. That is increasing from $1,600, as it is currently in 2023, to $1,632 in 2024. As John noted, this is the deductible that covers the beneficiary's share of costs for the first 60 days of Medicare-covered inpatient hospital care in a particular benefit period. In 2024, the coinsurance amount for days 61 through 90 of a hospitalization is increasing from $400 of what it is currently to $408 per day in a benefit period and $816 per day for lifetime reserve days instead of $800 as it is in 2023. For those who reside in skilled nursing facilities, the daily coinsurance for days 21 through 100 of extended care services in a benefit period is going to be $204 in 2024 compared to this year's $200. And then the Medicare Part B premium is going to be increasing from $164.90 to $174.70, which is a $9.80 increase. And the annual deductible for all Medicare Part B beneficiaries is increasing from $226 to $240 in 2024. Well, thank you, and I hope you all will join me again next month. It's going to be in celebration of Veterans Day. I'm going to have a discussion about veterans benefits, those that are both service-connected and non-service-connected, and those that are also available for spouse and dependents. So please do join us again. Thank you so much. Thank you.